Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Josh Brown, it is a traditional, a classic, a vintage wind-up. And it's been a long time since me and you came down on both sides, opposite sides of a certain video game. Now, we're going to be talking about The Quarry, um, Supermassive's latest horror-slash-until-dawn spiritual sequel type thing. Um, but I should also say that The Wind-Up is where we do all the latest video game stories, where we talk about the latest news, or like we're going to be doing today, we've both played through something, and maybe we just want to talk about it, or just argue our asses off, because you're loving The Quarry, and I'm not. It's most likely going to be arguing our asses off, <laughs> <laughs> Before we started recording, we had a brief chat about this, and I think it has been quite some time since we've come down like as far on mm. opposite ends of the spectrum as we have uh-huh. with this game. But we'll see. We'll jump into it. I think we're going to do about five minutes, just a general overview, yes. and then jump into actual spoilers. So that is the the warning. For yes, because I think the Quarry's being talked about quite a lot at the minute, as you know, like in the marketing and stuff. It was Supermassive's follow up to Until Dawn, quote unquote. Obviously, they've done the Dark Pictures anthology. Supermassive did their um, first person shooter VR game thing and this was sort of their return to um, a bunch of campers a bunch of people over at some sort of summer camp being hacked to pieces by something in the woods very Until Dawn style um, and it was just whether or not they can reclaim that magic because if you'll remember me and you did our best um, PlayStation games of the last 10 years and Until Dawn was both our number four or sixes it was yes. whatever it was pretty high and I still think Until Dawn's pretty good um, I've actually been playing a lot more of Until Dawn since finishing the quarry because I thought I'd go back and directly compare them um, but the quarry, I think one of its major positives is the production. Like the cast is unbelievable. Absolutely. Um, full of actors that you'll just go, I know them from TV. I know them from movies. Um, including also like obviously um, legends of horror like um, David Arquette and Ted Raimi um, alongside a whole bunch of newcomers and everything. So I think they nailed the production side of it. That's the best thing about it. Some of the facial animations get a bit crazy. A little bit. There's a lot of super massive jank in there, you know, a between the animations and the way things are stitched together. Mm. But yeah, I would fully agree. You know, I, I'm mentioned on the uh, the video that we did on YouTube yes. that there were certain scenes in this game where there were no subtitles on, you know, it was just the cinematic presentation, and it was like I was watching a movie, man. Totally. It was that um, photoreal at mm. times. Although, yeah, there's a few bits when characters are screaming or shouting or super emoting um, that <laughs> they do it better than Ellie Noir did. Yes. Because I remember when Cole Phelps would shout, and it just looked like someone had stretched his character model open, and it just looked a bit weird. Um, but yeah, they nailed the production side of it. If you just want to kind of have fun with um, like a horror romp filled with a bunch of different actors that you recognize um, and a kind of fun concept that um, I don't think they do that much with. I don't think there's as much to this as there is Until Dawn. Um, you can go check out the video that we did in terms of, um, you know, why it's one of the best horrors or the best horror of the year. 
Um, but I think that the the way that the whole game comes together, and we're going to go into full spoiler territory because a lot of people playing through this, a lot of people followed it and watched it with a streamer. That seems to be the thing. If you YouTube um, the quarry, it's loads of streamers. People watch this en masse, and there is like a movie mode and a streamer mode and stuff. It's kind of built for an audience. Definitely. So I think a lot of people have, have, have seen this game play out, um, and I think there are a lot of things to um, break down. So I... Um, again, it's all full spoiler stuff, so we'll just dive in about whatever. But the one of the things that I had a big problem with was, let's call it under-acting or under-animating, um, which kind of happens right from the beginning where you don't have characters literally reacting to horrible things in front of them or not reacting to stuff in a way that feels realistic. Like the very beginning, you have Laura and Max, they career off the side of the road, and they barely react to the fact that they just almost hit someone on the road and that they're now in the middle of the forest. Um, I thought that was kind of weird. And then when Max gets like slashed up by the first werewolf, um, Laura just sort of runs up to him and just kind of stands over him, just wait, just stands over him, doesn't really say, oh my God, are you okay? Or anything at all. Um, and it was those kind of moments where you you mentioned like Supermassive Jank, um, where the game is sort of going like, here's these beautifully rendered 3D models of these people that we've scanned in and, and animated, um, but you're in between the performance capture and the, there's a dead-eyed stare and you're just waiting for the next thing to kick in. And so that was one of my first major red flags where I was like, are you going to say something? Like right. a lot of these scenes aren't landing because people aren't saying enough stuff. Yeah, I mean, for the first uh, couple hours, especially when you're just getting the setup and you're getting mm. a lot of the group interactions, you can definitely kind of feel the game loading in the next line and I don't know if these performances were captured together I would guess not judging on how they play out because there is often a pause between the dialogue sometimes the dialogue doesn't quite match in terms of tone or delivery Mm. Uh, however that for me was only an issue for the first couple of hours and once people start splitting up and once you get the more intimate scenes between two or three people I didn't notice it anywhere near as much but there is yeah there's for me there's one scene I didn't actually have that trouble in the opening opening but you know the scene where they were kind of around the car around the truck and they're like oh man we've got to stay another night and they're all kind of talking to each other Mm -hmm. it's kind of like across the circle that they've made I noticed it then where eye lines kind of weren't matching and like I said line deliveries were taking a second slightly too long to um, load in so it didn't feel like a flowing conversation Mm. however I do think it gets um, better no totally I think it's worth addressing as well that this game has been in production for the last four years I was watching a making of over on the 2k channel and um, they literally say that it started before uh, the pandemic before the lockdown stuff they had scenes that they were filming together and then they had to do a whole remote setup thing. Um, I forget the name of the, um, the director of the game, sadly, but he was directing remotely where his face would be on like a tablet on a stick and just put that with someone in like an apartment or something and tell them what to do with a green screen behind them and go from there. So it's kind of a minor miracle that it comes together and it's not that the game isn't enjoyable overall. Um, it's just that for me, um, I kind of had these like core issues with it. Um, animation is one thing um, where like I don't think, because for me the, the lack of reacting to what's happening, like obviously at the beginning and again, full spoiler stuff. So I'm just going to talk as if people know what I'm talking about. Um, at the very beginning when um, David Arquette needs to leave the scene, Chris Hackett needs to leave and he's like slamming the car, the card um, bonnet down, making a whole bunch of noise. There's just no real grounding of anything that's happening. And he's like, um, he's like, go inside the lodge and stay there for the whole night and don't leave. Um, and so for me, the immediate thing is obviously um, uh, Jacob is like, oh, we should have a big party. We should do a big bonfire thing. And I'm like, why? Why are you guys super truant? You've been here for two months. You're assumedly counselors who have looked after a bunch of kids. You just said goodbye to a bunch of kids at the start of the 
um, the game. I don't buy why you would suddenly be truing against this guy. I don't buy the lack of reactions to everything. I don't buy why I, as an audience member, care about what's in the quarry, other than the name of the game. That's what I don't fully understand, if I must mm. admit, because, we would, again, we briefly mentioned this before we started recording. Yeah. And to me, I don't understand why you wouldn't care or why you right. wouldn't do that party, because what we've seen of those characters so far, yeah, they're looking after kids, but mm. they're, they're young themselves. I mean... The opening scene, you have those two characters, potentially, if you did it, like, kick down a door to the cabin and just leave the cabin open, you know? So you've kind of got, like, these personalities already where they're kind of, like, you know, they're being sarcastic, they're joking, they're they're wanting to kind of, like, let loose. So when they were like, let's do a party, and you have kind of um, Ryan being like, look, I don't think we should do it. Like, Chris Hackett has said, we should stay in. I promised him that I wouldn't let you guys go out, and everyone else is like... Stop being a loser. He's immediately like, yeah, whatever, though. Like, I'll just do whatever you guys want. That was believable to me because, I mean, if you've ever been in kind of like a, a, well, at least for me, I've been in a social situation like that and you've got nine teenagers being like, I want to do a party. No, no, the thing, I'm not saying, yeah, I obviously get like a whole bunch of teens are going to be a whole bunch of teens. We've done that stuff. We've, everyone's lived that life. But for me, there needs to be more dialogue in there about like, um, I wonder what he keeps in that back room. I wonder why why is he always hiding stuff? You know, why does he never let us in his office? Like, let's go find that stuff out. Like, give me those like polls as to, the idea that Chris Hackett is hiding something or give me those core reactions to what's going down at the beginning. Um, I just felt that there was like this weird lack of grounding. Also, I really didn't like the cast at the beginning. Um, I kind of thought they were all a-holes at the very beginning. So I was like, everyone's quipping. Everyone's saying really snarky, kind of horrible stuff to each other. Um, it doesn't feel like these are real people. This, it just Everyone feels kind of overly aggressive to each other. Yeah, let's talk about this because I think a lot of... Whether people will go with this story comes down with whether they warm to the cast early on. And I Mm. fully agree, you know, there are a lot of MCU-style quips in here where you can't kind of let a horror beat lie. Someone needs to say something self-referential or whatever. And at the beginning, there are a lot of arseholes in the group. Uh, That said, there were enough um, good and interesting personalities within that group Mm. immediately for me to get invested in them. You know, I wanted to know more about the relationship drama between Jacob and Emma. I was interested mm. in Abigail and Nick on their little walk. You know, Ryan seemed like a really cool dude in his yeah. relationship, with, relationship with Chris. In uh, Caitlin, I thought was like amazing from the start. So there were all of these kind of oh, really? personalities. Caitlin was, Caitlin was the one I hated at the start I and then she grew to become my favorite as it went on. That's the thing I just, for me, Caitlin was like great from the beginning. I didn't <sighs> get her being, you thinking she was like some She's just so heartless. Like she's immediately like the first thing she says to Jacob when he's like processing the fact that he's broke up with someone. And I don't think they have established that he's this um, jock a-hole so that you can be on her side in that exchange. The first thing she says is like, oh, so I heard that girl like dumped your ass. And I'm like, Oh yeah, just say that to a guy who's dealing with this. Like, okay, I, I, I get that. I mean, this is this is going to be an interesting part because so much of it kind of comes down to personal preference and what we think is believable or not. Mm. And to me, in that situation, you know, Jacob and Caitlin are supposed to have this history that goes back to like you know when they were in school. You know, they've known each other for yes. like decades, which they don't do point. anything with in the game. Well, I would say they were doing something with it right there by having this uh. kind of like you know informal, um, really close bond where she can be like. Hey, this girl but just dumped your ass, right? If uh, we're talking about like warming to a character, you finally find that out when they're at the bonfire scene like two hours later and like you don't know that they're childhood friends until then. But you know they're good friends at that point. Like, I mean, the, the way they're talking and stuff. Oh, I didn't get that at all. <laughs> okay, I didn't, okay. They didn't come across as friends to me. No one, I didn't <laughs> believe that any of those guys were friends whatsoever. The nearest thing that was friendship was when, um, I think it was, oh, it was Nick or, yeah, Nick um, and Jacob do the, the butter pop dance thing. Yes. And um, that was funny. Like it's like a, a nice choreographed thing. I just, I sound like such a sourpuss, but I'm just like, I just, I love Until Dawn. I love teen horror. Like I should have loved this. And it's like, I didn't feel like they were, <laughs> just didn't have any chemistry. Like they're well 
like rendered and everything, but I just didn't feel like the 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 world didn't really make sense. Like you've got two months um, that have been isolation doing the quarry stuff. They're counselors. Um, there should be some sort of um, either like a mischievous kind of energy. We should go. We should check out this place. I wonder what's always been in here. I've never heard about it or whatever. Um, or like actually nail the horror side of it and whatever. I just none of that stuff landed for me almost well, whatsoever. Just to sorry, just to circle back around like mm. characters for a brief second, Do it. like were, were there no interactions that kind of like got you into it? Because for me, I can look at the opening car ride between Laura and Max. Mm. I thought that was so well acted between those two actors that even if the characters weren't fully formed at that point, I was thinking, I believe you two as a couple. That was and then when Abigail goes on the walk with Nick and they're kind of having that awkward, will they want the energy? Mm. I thought, well, there are two very likable people to get behind. Yes, I did. I messaged you saying I really like that. Abby Nick scene. I think that was really, really well done. I like the vulnerability that uh, Nick says where he's like looking at Abby doing her sketches and he's like, oh, it's cool that you know what you want to be or what you want to do because I don't have that yet. And I was like, that's cool. There are bits throughout this entire story where they sort of stop things and go like, here's a really good actual human scene. Um, and you can kind of file all the, the fakeness and the snarkiness and whatever under the thing that Emma says at the beginning, which is um, that she just acts a certain way because that's what people want to see. But I don't buy that that applies. I think that's like, a, I just don't feel that as an overall tone thing. I don't think they're dissecting the teenage mentality or oh, like, man. you know, the, the whole, like the way that people are on social media or the way that people are, um, you know, a certain way they are in front of someone, but not in front of someone else. I don't think that comes across at all. I do. This okay. is, this is, I do because yes, we have that scene with um, Emma where she's talking about having this following. And then if Abigail survives and you go with Abigail and Emma later on in the story, you mm. know, they have a conversation about, you know, you're always performing. Are you still doing this for your followers and whatnot? Right. But the big scene that informed this kind of self-reflective theme, I suppose, uh, actually came from Dylan. Whereas he starts off at the beginning as this kind of like, you know, quippy. He's Chandler. Yeah, yeah he's, he's yeah. doing the Chandler thing. And you get this great scene, or you can get this great scene with him and Ryan, where Ryan's kind of trying to find out the real Dylan. And Dylan says, yeah, I want to do all of this science stuff. You know, I want to go off and like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a smart dude. Mm. And the issue was when I first came to camp, um, I didn't really know how to act. So I acted as Dylan, the outgoing yeah. guy. And, then and everyone like, liked it, so yeah, I stuck with it. Everyone liked it, so I stuck with it. And I was like, that is interesting. You start off with this group of characters, this group of stereotypes. And then I found the more you got to spend time with them, the more layers like an ogre they had to peel mm. away. So when that Dylan scene happened, I was already endeared by him. I wanted him to survive. And I thought, man, you've got, you got way more to you than I thought. And I love that this is an act. This arrogance yeah. is an act. It's a kind of self-preservation technique. And actually, you're a smart dude who um, knows a lot about science. But he but says that quit. and then goes back to being Mr. Quippy again. Like, you get you get one, literally one, brackets one, emotional scene per character. Like, they get one thing where they reveal a little bit more about themselves. And we're talking literal lines of dialogue. I don't think it carries through into their performance after that. It doesn't feel like these people are bonding under these circumstances. It doesn't feel at all like they're responding to the threat whatsoever. Like... Dylan loses a hand and doesn't care. You get a scene two like chapters later where he's like, oh, the world's going to judge me because I um, I don't have a hand anymore. Um, but I'm like, where's your reaction to the fact you just lost a hand? Like, there's a, he just carries on with the scene. And I just think like there's a whole bunch of stuff where they never really deal with the reality of what's going down. They, like I said, it never feels believable. It always feels like they need to do a quip thing instead. Or they do the drastically overused comedic trope, which is a very like new age trope thing where you overanalyze whatever someone just said. They do that every like five minutes in this thing. Mm. Um, you could do it right now if you just said, what do you mean this thing? And it's like, well, you know, like this thing, like it's just, 
picking apart whatever someone else said and then right. dragging it out. Um, and it's just like, that's not funny. Like, there's parts in this where I was like, this is written by the most unfunny people on earth. Like, especially the podcast finale uh, on the end credits. I was like, what the hell is this? Like, that stuff didn't feel like it came from the actors. It didn't feel like, obviously, there's the reality of the COVID shoot, but it didn't feel like it came from um, actual chemistry between them um, and just felt so forced. And so that took me out of any sort of relatability anything. I think that's fair. You know, there, there's a lot of stilted comedy in there that mm. I also don't like, you know, I could have <laughs> done without of it. I could have done without that, yeah, like you said, the picking apart of what people were saying and you're eight hours in and people are still stressing over whether or not it's, you know, werewolves, whether something yeah. is going down. The bear joke gets used like seven times. Oh, I like the bear joke. Really? I was I was hoping it would be paid off. Uh, I, it does kind of get paid mm. off when people are like, oh, there are bears in this yeah. thing. I liked it as a recurring thing. Mm. Uh, I, I do disagree with what you say about them not taking it seriously in the situation. I think there are a lot of set pieces where they're preparing to, you know, fight or they're having to make intense decisions whether to kill someone or not kill someone, mm. chop an arm, don't chop an arm, you know, barricade this, don't barricade this. I always felt like the threat was real and that really? was paid off with actual consequences when people might die or people might lose a limb, people might get infected and whatnot. Like that scene you mentioned there with Dylan and presumably Ryan, I don't yes. know if I can have different mutations or permutations. Not in the radio shack. Right, yeah, when they're in the radio shack and, you know, Dylan gets kind of caught or he did for me and you chop his arm off with yep. a chainsaw. I was like, yeah, it happened fast, but it didn't feel, it, it felt like it made sense. It never felt like it was, things were just happening in the way that I think that you maybe feel that's, about That's it. literally what it felt like to me. I was like, a bunch of stuff is just happening. Like, it's not, because um, I don't think that they, um, I didn't, I never felt scared or trepidatious. The scenes that I did like were, um, when you do the flashbacks as Laura and Max and you sort of flesh out their side of things. Um, and I felt like, you know, finding out more about, like, you need that grounding of what is the threat. It is like something in the forest that looks kind of like a werewolf and it looks kind of like this, like, creature that's hunting them or whatever it is. And when you start, like, hinting at that stuff a bit more um, fo in a more focused way using Travis where he's sort of like, you know, like Laurel shouts, shouts out to Travis like, we know Max is a werewolf and then he stops in his tracks and he's like, you don't know the half of it yeah. and that's all you get. Like, that's great. And then like, the same thing about Chris Hackett being the werewolf. That's a really cool reveal. Um, but I think you need those things. And my favorite scene or one of the scenes that I loved um, is when Laura sits them down and I was like, oh my God, this is the pivot of the whole story. Laura sits them down and they're all being quippy and trying to just sort of be jovial and everything. And she's like, she literally tells Ryan to shut up. She's like, shut up. I have answers. Yeah. Just listen to me. And I was like, cool, you're going to actually introduce some grounding that we've like, you know, you kind of been coasting on and like the, the, the horror card of like, just have fun with the gore and everything else. Laura's going to ground everything. And she does in that scene. But immediately after, <laughs> she breaks as a character because then they have the whole thing with Laura and Ryan where Laura's kind of flaying with him and kind of, they, they have like a chemistry and then all the stuff that they were building with Dylan and um, and Ryan falls apart because Dylan's like, oh, I guess Ryan's type is I'm Laura. And I'm like, what, where is any of this coming from? Like mm. you had an attempt to ground stuff and really like hammer home the threat and deliver the final third of the game as they realize what they're up against, but they don't do any of that stuff. I, I, I understand like the kind of strange characterization towards the end, mm. but does that say not just ground the horror in the way that you just described? Like, because you get a set, a set of rules then, you know, you know that silver kill the werewolves, mm. you know that you can sever the infection line if you kill the werewolf that bit somebody. Yeah. Like to me that laid the stakes down quite clearly of, right, now we're going after Chris Hackett and these are the werewolves and we're trying to sever the line to save Max, to save Nick or whoever else has mm. been bit. Well, I'll tell you what's funny. Point. Uh, this, we, we'll switch into more positive stuff because I feel like I'm just rambling on and I don't even like hate the game. We can, I'll talk about when I literally said F this game out 
out loud as we go. Um, but the thing that's going to be different for us and why I think you had a much better experience and you didn't necessarily have the issues with the lack of acting and reactions is because I think most your the vast majority of your people stayed alive, apart from Max, who has that very cheap death where Caleb just kills him if you pick the wrong option near the end. Whereas um, Abby just got beheaded right in front of everyone in that scene where I was. Um, and then Laura's at the door, comes in, tells them everything. There is zero reaction, like in, in a realistic way, to one of their, who's assumedly one of their close friends being beheaded right in front of them and her head being on the floor right. while they're being told everything. And then they're still quipping. They're still doing the, like the, that stuff because obviously those scenes are shot regardless of what happens to Abby. So it was one of those things. Um, and it's only later on where I think it's Dylan says like, can you believe Abby lost her head before? And then someone else just goes like, yeah, it's crazy, right? Like, that's it. Like, right. I just, the level of goal you're introducing, chainsawing a hand or whatever, it needs to have something else to it, to me. It's to, to me, that stuff works because it's like, it's not an excuse to just kind of excuse I know, like, everything. It's a horror thing. But it's like, it's like a B-movie kind of yes. campy sort of uh, story at the mm. end of the day. And yes, you can take it seriously. And they do take it seriously mm. when, I, when they need to, I think. But a lot of it is just very fun in kind of, they're going for like the shocks. They're going for like the big laughs, the big reactions, rather than a really sort of realistic, right? This is a horror night. I mean, I, I laughed when uh, Laura turns up with like an eye patch yeah. and she's looking like Snake Plissken and yeah. you don't really know how that happened. I was like, that's neat. That's cool. What a cool visual. I like that she was like, I've seen things. Yeah. But yeah. I guess you, you mentioned a good point there. You know, I was very positive on the game, but also I felt like I had a lot of agency within the game's mm. choices. And I felt like every single time I was handed a choice, whether it was to say shoot a werewolf or decide whether or not to chainsaw off someone's hand, they <laughs> were impactful choices that were intense right. and suspenseful. Whereas I get the sense from you perhaps that you kind of felt they were maybe too random or you didn't know how much control you had in the scene mm. and then when something didn't go how you wanted it to go you were kind of stuck with a storyline that you uh, didn't really enjoy no I mean mine's, it's not necessarily that I, I cared about you know like oh, I wanted it to go a certain way it's just that whatever happened should have felt believable it shouldn't have felt janky it shouldn't have felt random I think the game falls the F apart from chapter 7 after chapter 7 because um, that was the bit where all the deaths can come in really quick succession and I don't think they do a good job of communicating to the player exactly which werewolf you're aiming at for example example in a scene where a whole bunch of stuff just kicks off uh, in chapter nine but i know that's a bit later on um but yeah it's just like in terms of like it's like a believability thing i didn't believe that they were remotely scared remotely aware of like um the reality of what they were up against and most of the game i kept telling myself well they still think it's just a giant like just a like a big bear or something i like keep making that joke but then you have things like uh, dylan losing a hand and they're all covered in blood and they've like, they've been through some stuff um, and it's like, you do get that little shift, and I think it's chapter six-ish, um, when you find um, the Kaylee's body in the pool. It's the one that Laura's uh, already shot. And then the really sad music comes in, and it pans up to the stars. And in my head, because it's been so janky stitching these scenes together, I was like, who just got shot? Like, I did one of the main characters just get shot? Are they really sad? Because actually, that's Abigail in there? Like, I don't, I don't know. And so it was things like that. And um, the only counterpoint I'll say to the like the fun romp vibe, because that is what they're going for, is that they shoot all the dialogue really um, like slow indie movie style. Like you get jokes, but they're like protracted. Hmm. But like the actual like editing of the scenes and how long we hang on people's faces and expressions and everything, for me, gives it a very belabored feel to the way that the actual pace rolls out, which I think right. contradicts with that like fun, just go with it vibe that Until Dawn had. Um, or like an older horror game like uh, Obscure has on the PS2? It's an, it's, it's an interesting uh -huh. thing to try and pass because on the one hand, you're saying kind of that those scenes are too slow, but then you're like in the scene where Dylan loses a hand, it's too fast and too random. Yes. I don't know if those things... 
How do those like, di- like well, of- like diet, like the way that the, the characters talk to each other, or the overall pace feels belabored and stretched out. Like there was, I, I right. forget which scene it was. It was that butter pop scene at the beginning where I was just like, this, like you're gonna do a little dance number in the middle of this otherwise quite slow paced exploration thing. Yeah, um, that felt really random and kind of cringe. But then, yeah, I mean, like it's just a level of believability. I just that escalation of we're going from slow conversation stuff where everyone's been snarky, and when they get a chance to speak or whatever, to you're now gonna have to amputate a hand. You want to shock on it or change saw it right. um, felt so random that I was just like I don't buy it I don't buy anything that you're giving that's, me that, that's, ah, it. that's such a shame man I bought into it so much I was having <laughs> so much fun I kind of want to jump into what you were talking about there in terms of the choices not feeling legible to you sometimes mm. if, if that's maybe the correct word only one specific scene but yeah okay oh okay right okay well, because it's, it, well that's the thing if we just go into like it is like full on spoiler stuff um, towards the end of the game chapter 9 you're playing as uh, Laura and Ryan and you find Chris Hackett in the uh, in the attic and then he jumps at you because he's all chained up he jumps at Laura and Ryan and they fall through the roof yeah. and they fall into a room that is filled with um, it depends who's died at this point but um, for my save it was uh, Jebediah Bobby um, Travis is there um, and so you fall through the roof with Chris Hackett in werewolf form. So, uh, but the way that it's shot, like this is like the thing with the game engine just sort of cutting around so much. It's so hard to kind of get a, a literal, ge- like a feel of the geography of that room and what am I aiming at? Where you fall through the room, a uh, roof with Chris Hackett and then there's another werewolf um, that appears in the room because Laura transforms and then it cuts to Ryan like with the shotgun and you're aiming at a werewolf and it's like well which one of you am I shooting at and the certain like you said before we were recording that's the point but it's so messy to that point to me right. where I was like you've not really communicated I don't even know what Ryan can see or not see and you can pan around in that scene and choose who you want to shoot um, but I thought that stuff was just so, like, again, messily done um, that I, like, I didn't pull the trigger at that point. Yeah. Because um, I was like, well, I don't want to shoot Laura. Um, and then she killed Ryan. And then Travis dies. You can get the worst ending that way, which is my first ending, where I was like, everyone dies. Nothing is explained. Yeah. That the, the hag of Haggard's Quarry gets annoyed with you. And then the sun rises and it ends. And I was like, okay. It's so difficult for me to criticize that scene <laughs> because so much of it is down to how the player reacts under like that kind of pressure. Like you said there, you know, there are ways to know who you are shooting. You can turn the camera yeah. around and see and then turn back and shoot. And it's kind of like the tools are there. Mm. And it's it's almost on you to kind of find them. And I quite like that to me. That adds to the replay value of, I might not have even known I could have turned left. To me, right. I just shot Chris because I was like, I want to take the risk. I'm not g- going to not shoot the werewolf. That's How do you right know that was Chris? That makes though? sense. I just had to go on faith. I just mm. suppose. And I was looking at the eyes. I think sometimes right. like the physical werewolves kind of like d- look different, maybe have different eyes or whatever. Mm. So I was kind of just assuming and hoping it was Chris because of the geography of the scene. Like before right, right. I saw that Laura was on top of uh, Ted Raimi's character and I was like well it, it has to be Chris I'm going right. to take a shot on Chris and <laughs> I, I like the way that they gave you just enough information for me to kind of feel smart in my choices just mm. going back a slight section to Nick and Abby and Abby's potential death you know there's that moment where Nick is on the floor and he's being wounded and Abby's kind of trying to comfort him and Nick's being a bit of a bastard you yeah. know he's he's given into kind of his werewolf urges and he's being annoyed he's, he's annoyed at her he's kind of getting hungry yeah. and as Abby you get like choices to comfort him. And every time you comfort him, she kind of leans a little bit closer. And I remember doing that once. I did Mm. one comforting choice and she leant in and then he kind of got a bit closer to her, was kind of smelling her. And I was like, right, in this situation, I need to get away. So the next time I got a choice, I was more cold. And then she kind of backed off. And I was thinking that has rewarded me for understanding the situation here. So then when it all kicked off, I just shot 
you know, <laughs> Nick in the chest and he ran away and Abby survived. And uh. each step of that process, I felt like I was actively making a choice and I could understand the consequences. And for most of the deaths in this game, apart from one, I fully understood, or at least I mostly understood the consequences of my actions. Mm. And if someone got killed, it was like, yes, that was a mistake on my part. That was a misjudgment. Whereas most of the other times, even in that Chris Hackett yeah, yeah. kind of weird um, confrontation with everyone, I came out of it thinking, right, I've, this, this game has rewarded me for being curious, I suppose. See, my thing, it's like, it's not that you can't pan the camera in that scene where you're choosing between the two werewolves. It's just that at that moment, the game has barely communicated that it knows there are two werewolves in that room because of how choppy that whole thing is cut together, where I'm just like, have I just fell back into the room with all those characters that I was in like 20 minutes beforehand, which was also one of the stupidest things that I was telling you before we were recording, that like, there's that whole scene where um, Laura and Ryan find the prison cells underneath the Hackett house. It's where in my save, Jacob and Nick were. And then um, Laura has the shotgun and then Travis gets her in a chokehold, takes her upstairs. And the next scene starts with, um, I think she's called Margaret, but it's the mum, the matriarch, um, dragging uh, Laura across the room, but she still has the shotgun gun and i'm like she was just knocked out and taken upstairs you left her with the shotgun like stuff like that makes takes me right out of it right and then so then laura like elbows um the mum like off her the grandma and stands up and points the shotgun at everybody like everybody being bobby jebediah travis and the mum and then the grandma's like you can't shoot what you can't see and she turns the lights out and then we're meant to buy that it's pitch black in there all of a sudden um and then the grandma turns up and tries to get the shotgun and then blows her face off and whatever and like i just those things are so sloppy to me that like if you're going to take the the time to do all this production value and all this motion capture and all this um, intentional dialogue and this scripting and everything, you can't then drop the ball at this like believability stage. Like literally, why did she have the shotgun? <laughs> it didn't make any sense. So then like that then turns it, cause then Bobby randomly stabs uh, Ryan with the, uh, the knife in the, in the uh, armpit or whatever. And then again, the geography of that scene is that everyone's in that room, but the camera just follows Ryan going to like a dumbwaiter and he goes up a floor to escape. But I'm like, how did he escape? Everyone's right there. That doesn't make sense. Like. Things like that are really gonna take me out of it. And then there's a bit where like, because the grandma's dead, um, yeah, Laura goes to run away and Jebediah goes to shoot and you can dodge out the way. And if the, if the grandma's still alive, she just lets Laura run away essentially and then fires a, a shot anyway. Um, but then you do a whole thing of running, a, running out the mansion, running away from them. So when I fell back through into that room or a very similar looking room, I just didn't think it made any sense at all. And because of what had just happened with the shotgun stuff, I was like, and I couldn't tell the werewolf stuff. I was like, this is just so messy. Like it just didn't feel confident at all on its part. I loved those scenes. I it thought is. those scenes were uh, gnarly and I was cackling in the scene <laughs> where Lynn Shea's uh, matriarch gets her face blown off in right. the goriest scene ever. I thought that was, for me, it worked. For me, it was very funny. You know, I liked making those decisions in that moment. I thought the tension was escalated. I thought like the, the spectacle of it was just so daft but, you and know, so like, silly. I was following everything. I just, just super quick though, do you yeah. know, I think their use of darkness throughout this game is so weird. Like there's a bit when yeah. Bob when Bobby's, that's another thing, oh, I'll get back to this. There's a bit when Bobby's hunting Caitlin in the lodge and she just stands still on the stairs and yeah. you're meant to buy that Bobby can't see her, even though he's, she's right in front of him. Oh, dude, there's a lot of like suspension of disbelief in here. Don't get me wrong. And if for some reason, for some people, I can fully understand why they would be taken out of yes. that. But like when she turned the lights off, I was just thinking, this is great. Like now it's pitch black. Right. Now you can't see. Now she's going to come and try to wrestle the shotgun. And oh my God, her face is off. You yeah. know? And in, similarly in the same situation where Ryan gets stabbed on the side, I don't, I mean, I might be misremembering. I played it a few days before you. Mm -hmm. uh, and my memory is not as good as it used to be. But in that scene, don't they just leave the room and leave Ryan for dead? And that's how he gets away. Like, 
well, he runs gets off. away. Like they do that thing where if you shoot the matriarch, then um, Laura flees after yeah. that. Jebediah shoots at, um, uh, at Laura, and Bobby's reaction to that is to stab yeah. um, Ryan and then, I guess, run after Laura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. kind of leaving him for dead, but it's a stab in the armpit. Like it's not. What? Well, to be fair, to to be fair on old Bobby, <laughs> like Ryan would have died by that. Like yeah. he, he literally, unless he gets turned into a werewolf, he dies True. in that whole thing. So like he's kind of done for well, anyway. He, you know? he lives if the knife stays in him. Yes. He dies, okay, he bleeds yeah, out yeah, if you yeah. take it out. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was things like that. One of the things I was going to very quickly say, and oh my God, am I relentlessly negative? But um, it is the bit with, uh, with Caitlin when you've got to avoid Bobby in the lodge, which comes after the fact that we know that the hunters are on our side because they help Jacob. Bobby gives the file of blood to Jacob and he says something about how this is what you use or whatever. They can't, they, you know, they avoid you if you use this or whatever. Um, we as the audience know that the hunters are okay. Yeah. So why are we then terrified of the old man to be avoiding them in the, um, the lodge scene? Well, the- Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com 
forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. The thing is with that, it's like you might not know because you can play that Jacob scene in a way where he doesn't help you or give you the blood. But I know. Like, that's the way yes. I played it. Yeah, you do, but it doesn't take away from the story. The story still has to play out. And even in that scene, is are you not rewarded with the fact that you know if you do get caught or whatever, you're not going to be killed? Like, Well, no, because in my head, like again, it's that whole thing with the game's lack of communication or confidence where I don't know what's going to happen if I let Caitlyn be seen by Bobby. Is she going to get shot? I yeah. don't know. Only me as the audience know that like those guys are okay. Totally. But it's also like a big plot thing that they don't just say, hey guys, by the way, um, we're hunting the werewolves. You, you're, you guys already know because you're covered in blood. Um, you know, let's, that's what we need to do. Why don't we just work together and we can put them in the cages. And I've got yeah. a, a few things. Does that not keep you on your toes? The fact that you know, but the characters don't know. Like you were still no, playing it breaks it. <laughs> How, if I could ask about that, how does it break it? Well, it, it breaks any investment I have in the believability of that story being told because you've like, you've messed up your antagonists. You, you want me to fear the person that I know is okay. That's weird. And I don't know on, in terms of the, like I said, believability or confidence of the way the game um, tells you its choices. I don't fully know that I'm going to be able to step out and try and have a conversation with Bobby. Yeah. Um, like, I don't buy that. He'll probably just shoot me and I've just lost Caitlin or whatever. Well, is that uh, like, uncertainty not keep, like for me, that uncertainty kept me ticking over in that scene. Like mm. I wasn't scared of them. I knew that they weren't the main antagonists of the game at that point, but I still didn't know what would happen if Caitlin, you know, actually had an interaction with them. I mm. didn't know what would happen if they caught her. It like, felt more they... like a bug with the yeah, game. Or... Like, like there was something they hadn't like, ah, dude, you know, I don't get that at all. for it, but right. it was one of those ones where I was just like, I wish I could step out and go, hey, like, don't worry about it. Like whatever, like, you know, obviously Caitlin doesn't know what had, had happened with Jacob, yeah. but to have some scene between Caitlin and Bobby, like by the time when you get to the end of it, there's all these different things that kind of barely add up in terms of the cages they have and um, why they weren't like announcing themselves more to the people they were trying to protect. That's what Jebediah says after you shoot the mum. Um, she's like, all we were trying to do was protect you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, by menacingly stalking us in the woods and not being clear about anything. True. I mean, I, again, you know, I can only argue so much, but for me, when you kind of have those scenes with the hunters and mm. why they're not communicating, it's like, you know, they're not going to just be like, if, if you saw two hunters coming towards you, right? <laughs> and they were like, guys, there's werewolves around. Uh, We're here to save you. You're going to be like, no, no, but you've, but they, Dylan's lost a hand. Like there's blood everywhere. Yeah. You've seen them. You can be like, we know the score. This is, that was what, that's what until Dawn did. Right. But I mean, in, in the logic of this story, mm. you, they don't know that they're werewolves until the scene where you get the exposition with Laura. Like, yes. well, we, we know we've established this. Mm. We've had this conversation about like the big. No, I just mean they know scene, there's something out there. They yeah. know there's something out there. Some people think it's a bear. They're still not entirely sure. And if, for me, if they're confronted by two scenarios, one, the fact that all of this might be just two scary looking dudes with guns or uh, two werewolves that they don't believe at this moment in time, mm. like, them shouting, where werewolf hunters isn't going to make things better. No, but you do have the scene where um, Bobby saves Jacob, and then Jacob barely relays that information to the group when he gets back to the bonfire. Yeah. Like, he just says, oh, there's a guy, scary guy in the woods, kind of big. Ah, just whatever. And then Jacob doesn't have any clothing at that point. He's running around in his underwear for the rest of that game. Right. At least he wasn't my save. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that's one of those things where I was like, just communicate what you know. He saved you. He gave you the blood. They avoid the blood. Like, just... Just stitch that together. Like, I just, that stuff takes me out of it. Like, for me, in that, again, at some point, we're just sort of arguing two different perspectives. <laughs> to me, in the Jacob scene, like, yes. he's running away from something, but he hasn't seen anything. He doesn't seem, he hasn't been attacked by it. 
All he knows is he's running away from something. There's something in the woods. It might be an animal. might mm. not be. Then he's strung up. Then these two creepy dudes come across with a knife. And if you choose the right options, they can cut you down and pour some blood on yep. you. And then he's going back. Like, to me, it would be more insane for him to come back and be like, oh, I met these two sound lads in the woods. Well, no, but... He gave me a load of blood on me face. <laughs> you should trust those boys. Like, that's still kind of weird and creepy. Surely. It's true, but I guess you could have... I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have had it as nonchalant as that. But you could have done, like, something with that interaction. Like something with, like I said, by the time you know all the pieces on the chessboard by the end of the game, there are fewer and fewer things that really add up. Like I know that they have a note you can find in the game that says that Kaylee and Caleb uh, were sick of being in the cages when it was the full moon. So they just decide to go out in the forest and they left a confession saying that's what they've done. That's why there are werewolves in the forest. Because one of the biggest plot holes, if you don't find that note, is why weren't they just in the cages? Like there's one full moon every month. Um, just lock them up. Like Chris Hackett's obviously locked up in the uh, in the attic, and so like stuff like that. I don't mind because you can find that those things in the game. Um, but I still think that in terms of the way that it's written and how menacing they they come across, I think they could have done more with finding some way to explain why they can't tell the gang, the main guys, what's really going on. Like, just have something in the script. You have free reign. You're creating an entire concept from scratch. Yeah. Like, um, at the beginning, it's all hunting ground, and they're watching over them at the bonfire. Um, and, like, yeah, they, they don't, like, those guys are just kind of there. That's what the Until Dawn flamethrower man stand in. What's... What fascinates me with that, though, is that that also applies to Ted Raimi's character because he won't Yeah, why is he so Matt menacing when he's trying to take care of them? But it's like, they, they've got this, for me, it's like they've got this family history, man. Like, uh-huh. they, they've got this family history. Their entire family are werewolves. And, like, he's a police officer. They're, yeah. they're known in the community. Like, they can't just be going to some people that they kidnapped at that point. Like, oh, by the way, it was werewolves. Uh, no, 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 but head off. earlier, though, like, mm-hmm. he's he's a relentlessly creepy weirdo at the very, very beginning. Yeah. If his whole point was, I need you to go to the hotel, yeah. then don't be weirdly boisterous and a total dick about it. Hey, like, have you seen his mom? It's Lynn Shea being the creepiest, like, woman on earth. Like, he is has a strange relationship with her. For, like, again, again, for me, uh, that stuff is, like, just kind of horror family 101. Like, they're, they're weird, but that right. doesn't make it a plot hole because saw, they're weird and menacing. No, I wasn't actively... It's just one of those things where when you start thinking about it, it starts to fall apart. As in, why have the um, the actual summer camp stuff end on the day of the... New of the big full moon like you've got like three hours clearance to get those people out um, which you could argue is the horror scenario that like came about and that's why there was the mandated movie night that was like halfway through the two month uh, period or everything but yeah stuff like that I'm not, I'm not too hung up on uh, hung up on stuff like that but I, I get the complaints about it it's not like the, the reception of this game um, initially was quite positive when the first like wave of reviews came out but I have seen quite a lot of, of people saying it is a bit disappointing or whatever I think overall like it is it's extremely well put together in terms of the production the motion capture and everything um, it's just that the way that um, all the different, this, the sequential nature of it or the payoff, that was the stuff where it didn't come together for me, um, which um, we can pivot into like all the the ending or the lack of ending, which seems to be the thing that a lot of people agree on, even if you love the rest of it, um, which is to say that it doesn't really have an ending. Like um, for me, obviously my original playthrough, everyone dies. So my ending was just a hag getting annoyed that I hadn't taken her revenge on the Hackett's. But if Travis is alive and he tells you the secret of everything, you find uh, Silas, the original wolf, um, the son of the uh, hag woman, and you just go up and kill him, and that's it. And that's kind of your ending. You don't, no one, no, none of the actual character dialogue that we invest in, if you're really a big fan of the game, pays off whatsoever. Yeah, I do think there needs to be a, an epilogue of sorts mm. where you see the surviving characters get back together and not just leave. You know, you yeah. have the uh, sort of freeze frames of this character survived and went on to do this, this, and this. And that's all right. I would disagree about the actual ending or climax mm. of the game because to me, there's the search for Silas worked 
in okay. alongside uh, from again for my ending, mm-hmm. I had the search for Silas with um, Ryan and Laura and Ted Raimi's character, whose name I keep forgetting. Travis. Travis. That's it. Uh, so I, ha- I had that happening with the attack in the car, which I thought was quite good. Yes. And at the same time, I had the assault on the lodge with Dylan and Emma and Abby and Caitlin, who were in the lodge and they were getting chased around by a mm-hmm. werewolf in there. So I was like, those two together worked as a is a is a good enough climax mm. for me personally. I thought those set pieces were quite good. It's definitely a way better sense of closure than what happens if Travis dies. Because then the game has barely accounted for that stuff. And Eliza's flashback, which you talk about Eliza's stuff. Um, Eliza is the name of the hag of Hackett's Quarry. And if you if Travis dies in that messy scene, for me it's messy, that's the scene that I described where you have the two werewolves and you're shooting either Laura or Chris. If Travis dies, then you get no explanation for anything. The scene blacks out and um, all of a sudden you go back to see the hag again and she has a card called the Hierophant and, um, and she's annoyed that it's there and she's like, oh my God, how have you found this? Um, and then she's, and she uses it to show you the flashback in her little crystal ball of what happened when um, like her son got free. Um, you didn't get that scene, which I think is kind of insane because that's like a fundamental like visualization of the origin of the werewolf curse or whatever. Totally. I didn't get to play that flashback. I just got the explanation from Travis mm. and I was fine with that. I don't feel like I missed out, but it, it's I, way clearer than the Eliza thing. I like that. Um, I, for, again, for me, I keep saying that all the time <laughs> in this podcast. It's default for you. It certainly is. Just assume that's what I'm saying every yes. time. Uh, with that kind of branching pathways and locking off information behind deaths or Mm. mistakes, let's call them. Uh I like that because it encourages a replay of the game to fit all of those bits and pieces together. Like there is a whole evidence mechanic that you've mentioned Mm -hmm. in the title where you're picking up documents and you're piecing things together and you're unlocking the next part of the thread of evidence that you're collecting. So for me, if you can collect everything the first time through and you play it quote unquote well, that's cool. Mm. But also I like that you can royally mess things up and have huge gaps that make you go, or at least would make me go, I need to play that again to make different decisions to get the full story. Well, I did. That's the thing. I am, it's worth saying as well, the game's chapter select is broken right now. If you use chapter select, um, it goes back to that point in your overall save. So if you want to revisit something from chapter five, you're now back in chapter five. Now go finish the whole game again to get chapter select. I think they'll patch that, but like that thing kind of sucks. Um, I'm going to blow your mind because I didn't do any of the evidence stuff. <laughs> that whole, so I don't think the game pushes you towards it whatsoever. What? Like it just doesn't. You get a tutorial for it. You get a what? what? A tutorial for the evidence collection. You don't need it. You don't use this, it at all. Uh, no point in the game is someone like, can you present something? Like, Eleanor, can you present something that proves it? No. no, but no, that, that's that's true. Wait, it does factor into the podcast. I have a little exclamation mark next to it. It does. <laughs> it does factor into the podcast at the end. But even leaving that apart, leaving even leaving that there. Yeah. Does the evidence mechanic not solve the issue that you had with the story not being explained to you? Because well, these I, 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 bits I mean, the thing and pieces, is, right? I did a little bit of that for Banner because okay. my point was that yes, when I picked something up, I'd hit L one and I would read it again. Because one thing, well, that's the thing. One thing that annoyed me was that when you pick up a letter, you can't read it. It just tells you this is a letter from such and such. Can I read it? No. Sometimes, if you're standing next to it in the game world and you're still there, you can like zoom in a little bit and you'll be able to read it if your brightness is high enough. No, because you can hit show text. 
Sometimes, sometimes mm. you can. Depends what it is. Most times, I most would times. Say. I'll give you most, but even then, I don't think that that evidence mechanic is embedded very well in the game overall. I don't get that. And also, man. I don't think that it matters. Like I said, like you can hit L one and read more stuff, mm. and it gives you some ground that the, the confession letter is good. It factors into why there are werewolves in the forest. Yeah, but the, it's not as a mechanic. Let's say it doesn't play it at all. Not as a mechanic, but when you say that you you know there were gaps in the story, the story didn't make sense. Yeah, but then also say the evidence mechanic is useless and pointless. To yeah. me, I just the, those two thoughts don't compute well, if, if because I'm like, a, that if, is where the story is filled in. No, I mean, look, I'm not. Travis killed. I'm not consciously ignoring anything. And I think, yeah, taken as a maxim written out on paper, yes, that would sound like I was a crazy person. But like <laughs> the amount of evidence that I did read, I still can obviously tell you the whole story of everything. Um, my whole problem was just with the the messy way those scenes were handled and the fact that if Travis dies, there's no resolution whatsoever. And uh, and Eliza's flashback makes no sense um, because she just says, <laughs> as a um, the harem scarum traveling circus is ablaze, look what they've done. And as an audience member, you're like, who's they? Because because Travis is dead. So like that stuff didn't make sense. I had to go back to chapter nine, replay that stuff. Yeah. It's just like the game doesn't have a way to give you a resolution if if Travis dies, basically, is, um, in that chapter. Right. Two things. Yes. Well, uh, I'll start with what you mentioned there first. <laughs> is that not a game mechanic in itself to wall that stuff off? Should Does mm. the game owe you a full explanation if you do get these characters killed? Uh, that's a weird thing because I don't know how much a game owes anyone anything, but I would yes. I would ground it on some sort of satisfaction. I would say if I'm paying money, especially because this game is 65 English pounds, although shout out to 2K because we got the review code for the second copy that we got. Yeah, you did. Um, but yeah, I did. But they're selling it for 65 pounds, premium price. Um, again, owed is a weird word, but I, you would expect some sort of narrative satisfaction almost regardless of anything, Ooh. or, <laughs> uh, as Josh throws a coffee cup at me, um, <laughs> you need some sort of satisfaction, uh, I would say, or um, it just it's the way that scene plays out. It's just sort of like, you can't have a, a very much flagged bad ending. Mass Effect 2, if everyone died in that ending, and then you complained, oh my God, I didn't get any resolution. It's like, well, you'd have to try really hard to kill everyone. Like in that scene that I did in the quarry, I'm just playing the game. And I'm just like, I barely can understand what I'm actually aiming at or what's gonna happen. And like I said, like all those deaths, chapter seven onwards feel so cheap and rushed and forced that it all falls apart at the very, very end. It did make me go back and play replay it though, yeah. but only because I was so annoyed <laughs> to I, try and find something else. I'd argue it's okay to wall off the information on the larger plot behind these choices, mm. simply because you still have the main drive of uh, trying to get these characters out of the night alive. And you get enough of a grounding for that yeah. in terms of knowing it's werewolves, knowing that you that your main goal is ultimately to sever the bloodline to save these people. To me, that works as like the A plot and you will get that regardless of who dies. You know, you will get yeah. that like, you know, drive. And then the rest of it, who is Eliza? What is the harem scare? And, you mm. know, who is Silas? That's a that's a reward for getting the full picture. It's if you, true. If you didn't have the other thing and it was all hinging on who is this person, you know, what is the overall story, mm. then I would say yes. But because you get, a, for me, because you get a satisfying enough story drive in terms of the basic werewolf action, yeah. the rest of it is okay to is, is okay being a reward. My thing with the first half of what you said about the, the main core thing doesn't work at all for me because the, the, the cast of characters don't have any drive to actually solve that. Oh. It's not like their relationships. Ah. <laughs> it's not like their relationships are hinged on, like if, if they, had a, they have a whole thing in here about the, the, the infection mechanic and you realize the more you replay it that like you can let people become infected across the story because 
because by the end, if you kill Silas, they all get cured anyway. That's how you save everybody. You let them get infected so that they can survive certain attacks, and then they get cured later. The, over, the game's relationships and everything they build in the first seven chapters have nothing to do with the infection mechanic they bring in from chapter seven onwards, which is a massive failing if that's the point that you're making. It is not. The point that I'm making is that you said there that the characters themselves don't have any kind of drive. They to, don't care. I would disagree entirely <laughs> because I, I could... Like, for me, I can list off a bunch of motivations. You've got Laura, who is infected herself. She needs to stop that. She also wants to save Max, who is a werewolf. Flirting with Ryan doesn't care that much? I mean, flirting is not... I mean, okay, set that aside. Even if you'd knock that one on the mm. head, you've got Ryan, who can become infected. You want to save Ryan. I you've do. got Ryan, who has a relationship with Chris Hackett. Are you going to kill Chris Hackett? I keep throwing this coffee cup at you. <laughs> uh, are you going to kill Chris Hackett? Or are you going to try to save Chris Hackett? Like, for me... Almost all the characters by that point have a reason to care. And I don't mm. understand not thinking that. In I a just way. think it's so undercooked. So if, if you, even the Ryan stuff, like he knows who Kaylee is and he's a bit upset when she's in the pool, but we get nothing as to how did they hang out with her when they were younger? Like obviously he's a yeah. mul- he returns multiple times. He doesn't talk about it. Like like that whole thing of why he cares about the Hackett's and he's like Chris Hackett's favorite or whatever, that's not explained or detailed or written about or anything. The, see, this is where I think the issue arises. It's Mm. because we played entirely different games. (laughs) You just said something there that for me is demonstrably not true because in my playthrough, you saw a picture of Ryan hanging out with Chris's kids. You had him talking about that. You had the talk with Chris about how, you know, they've uh, been through kind of... Ryan has shared his family problems and his, you know, personal issues with Chris. They have that relationship with each other. And they have for, like, presumably a good while now. He said it's like, yeah, it's like he's multiple years he's been to the quarry. Yeah, totally. And you have... At least I got some conversations throughout where people are like, why do you care so much about Chris? And then when Ryan is talking to Laura and Ryan's like, well, he's just like, he's a, he's a nice guy. He's always right. been nice to me. We've got this relationship. I know his kids, you know. It made me think that Ryan was in on it. Did it? It made me think that right. he knows the real deal because he's like, he's like the kind of archetypal goth kid who's like a bit okay with the occult or whatever because he has that like Cult of Satan t-shirt on. And I was like, I wonder if that's going to be the reveal that like, because you've got a decent actor. Justin Smith is a, um, Justin Smith, yeah, Justice Smith is a phenomenal um, actor anyway. So that's maybe why you've got him for that. So I was kind of uneasy with Ryan the whole way through anyway, right. even though he was one of my favorite characters, just because he wasn't being a dick to everybody else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, that's that whole thing. The core uh, group dynamic, the scripting and um, the drive and the threat worked for you. Mm-hmm. They didn't for me at all because the the, the cast and the, and the way it was written, the lack of reactions, the lack of like, oh my God, your hand just got torn off. Oh my God, my friend's head just got lopped off. None of that, none of it was in there. So like they didn't, like it didn't feel like a bunch of people going through the night, surviving through the night. Um, so ego, none of that stuff landed. Um, and then you've got all the kind of messiness of the way the st- uh, scenes are stitched together um, and like the way that it can end, like for me where it did. We haven't even talked about the whole stuff with the deluxe edition. And if you have the deluxe edition, you can rewind time and, and you can you have three lives for each playthrough. Uh, it might, might be per chapter, but it's definitely like a three live system. Um, that's not in the regular version of the game. You unlock that when you finish it. Yeah. Um, I think that's a massive issue because I think as much as I like, like the idea that you commit to what happens, they play with death 
it in such a fun way, in such a horror way, a Final Destination kind of way, that you should have had that rewind system in there. Then that would have let you be more comfortable experimenting with stuff and not have to um, replay chapters and get st- you can't even skip cutscenes. So like you could have experimented with, I wonder what happens if I go down there? Okay, horrible, visceral death. I'll rewind that and do the other thing. That would have freed up the whole back third of the game. Uh, <laughs> I did not have in this theory. mechanic because I just got the regular edition, just bought the regular edition. Mm. So I didn't even know that can- mechanic was a thing until after I completed the game. Mm. However, that made it more tense. And for me, the deaths that I got bar one, uh, I wasn't, I wouldn't have rerouned anywhere. No, I, I kept hitting cancel even though I got the option thing. for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. So in that regard, I thought it was smart to make you commit to just, you know, taking those chances. Mm. And it, t- to me, if I could rewind even three times, it would take the stress off those really intense um, choices that I had to make. Like mm. my most memorable parts of playing this game are those times where I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know if, you know, doing X would result in Y. And if I had the chance to take a punt on one of those choices and then rewind it, I probably wouldn't remember them in the same right. way because I didn't have to commit to the outcome. No, that's true. I just think that like, and like, I know I'm, I'm reeling off saying I would have preferred that. I think they would have had to have nailed the tone in a different way. But there's something in here in the quarry's overall DNA that is having fun with just go with it horror, like kind of like Final Destination or like any, you know, insert teen slasher here. Um, there's a whole bit at the beginning where you see one of the, um, before you know who the hunters are, where uh, Dylan sees Jebediah on the CCTV and it's a full human being on the CCTV out in the woods and he just goes, ah, it mustn't be anything. And Jacob does that too, where he sees like a person in the woods and just goes, ah, it's nothing. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're playing that card. You want us to have fun with this. You want us to have fun with the gore and have fun with the the, um, the uh, permutations of the story and everything. But like I said, like I said earlier, 20 hours ago when we started this, the um, the pacing overall has this assumed weight to it. They want, like, like you had... Um, weighty decisions to make, whereas for me, they didn't land because the characters never felt believable hmm. and the stakes never felt believable and I wasn't scared or um, all that interested in, in in most of the way that it was delivered. It's an interesting um, thing to pass because mm. it almost depends on what kind of horror fan you are and how Ooh. much, like you say, you believe in the story. You know, there is a way to play this game that isn't incorrect where you just think, I'm going to have fun with this yeah. and I'm going to try to get some people killed and see what happens. <laughs> you a can't way- get a trophy for killing everybody. Totally. All there's, all, all there's a way to play it where you are invested and you don't want to get anyone killed because you really care about the relationships. Mm. And I think there is a good distinction to make between uh, playing as these characters and directing these characters mm. as if you were making the horror oh, movie totally, itself. Yeah. And I think both are incredibly valid ways to play it, but it does make for not only different permutations in the story, but permutations in what kind of player and what kind of mentality uh, players are bringing to the game itself, oh, which no, I find I'd, fascinating. I'd, I would apply that to, to most choice-based games. That's always one of the issues, like this is a wider conversation, but I have that issue with most choice-based games. Right. Am I choosing what I want to see as a player or what that person would do in the moment? Yeah. Like that's a whole thing. But like, I just play through like Mass Effect. I'll just play through and do like whatever, I, it's a mix. It's like whatever make whatever feels like it makes sense in that context. Um, and so for this, I wasn't going down any particular path. It's like when you play with Mass Effect and some people do entire Paragon runs on their first run, I'm like, but you're you're not really playing it properly because you're defaulting to the best thing over and over again. Like the whole point of something like Mass Effect or this is to do what like you think you should do in the moment. Oh, we disagree in everything, don't we? Really? Well, <laughs> yeah. but you, you wouldn't do Mass Effect all Paragon first time. You're missing out I on did something. do that. What if some I character is a total dick and you want to punch him? Well, uh, that's, you just can't because you're playing a Paragon. Yeah, that's not the character I'm playing as. I'm playing as a Paragon in that situation, you know? It's, Interesting. It's like, I mean, yeah, I might, I might throw one punch here and there, but... 
I, I don't think you, you mentioned there that it was like wrong to do that. I don't think it's wrong to do that at all. I don't think I used the word wrong, but I guess I, well, maybe I did. But I, <laughs> my point would be that it would be that you get more out of those games by exploring the breadth of options available by not locking yourself down. It's fun to do a renegade run, especially in Mass Effect. Right. And I'm, I actually kind of want to do a genocide run in this. Um, same in something like Undertale. But um, I was never chasing any particular path. Like I, um, I was just like, I'll just play it. Like whatever choices you give me, I'll make decisions and I'll just see how it comes together. And for me, it didn't really come together, which is my, my whole thing. I don't know how much time we have left, if any. We, my friend, have been uh, blabberabbing for 54 English <laughs> minutes. <laughs> okay, maybe I will uh, keep this brief then. Yes. We've talked a lot about these different set pieces. Were there any set pieces that you did think worked? Uh, I'm going to say no. I'll oh, pass it back to you. That's such a shame, man. But the thing, the thing is, like, I, I just, I'm just, maybe the whole, uh, the thing is, it's not even true. The whole approach to teen horror, I was going to say, maybe isn't for me, but it's not true. I really like season, uh, Stranger Things season four. Like, it just depends how it's done. Because most of the time in this game, when they had a set piece, they put a cringe-ass song in the background, and it made <sighs> me cringe. Like, not the one you're about to say, I think, at the scrapyard, but um, a lot of the more softer scenes, um, especially with the relationship stuff, where it was just very, very, very soft, very sad and very breathy song in the background. And I was like, this is way too forced um, for what you're going for. Um, so no set pieces come to mind uh, I, for me. Because to me, like you alluded to there, there's a scrapyard scene between Caitlin and Dylan mm. that I just thought was incredible. I thought that was like <laughs> game moment of the year material. I love that entire set piece from start to finish. Really? Wandering through the scrapyard, seeing the floodlights come on. Motion sensing floodlights. Yeah, the motion sensing floodlights ending up in the big uh, magnet. Big picker thing. thing. Yeah, the big magnet picker to get the car. Uh-huh. And then having Dylan up there and Caitlin down in the car itself in this kind of shot where you see the floodlights come on yeah. and you know the werewolves coming towards you. I just thought that entire setup was so cool. No, the and thing so, is... Again, I was, I was ca- it was another one where I was cackling right. through. You know, I was thinking, this is awesome. What the hell is going to happen Because then they put, like a, they put like a rock song, metal song in the background while you're dealing with a werewolf hanging off the car with Caitlin inside it. The thing that took me out of it, though, was Caitlin has a shotgun and she won't use it. And also after that, when the car drops down, they don't salvage it for parts. That was the reason you came. Like, you came here to get the thing that was missing from the bonnet, the boot of the um, the front of the car, and you leave when you go back to the lodge. I will agree with that. I mean, I think they Ugh. were going just for the car itself, but they should have just taken the thing that they she, needed. And at also, the end of the day. Caitlin knows that the car is sabotaged. She knows the piece that Jacob took, or at least she knows that the car is sabotaged because they have that conversation at the start. Well, she doesn't know the exact piece. No, she, but she knows that she it's knows sabotaged. that he took something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she assumes that she's took That whole something. bit that they do with Jacob where you get to swim in the lake and you find the bloated corpse and you can't make a point to stay down there and get the piece back for the car doesn't mean anything. Not even if Jacob survives, because nope. my Jacob died. I didn't know if he got My anywhere. Jacob died first time through, second time, no, survives. Either um, you let the um, the werewolf that chases you get stuck in the snare trap, and then um, his freeze frame thing is Jacob looking at an upside down Chris Hackett in the, um, in the snare oh, trap. Right, okay. um, but it's still a super slow motion thing with Jacob just sort of looking at him. Um, no, there's no ending where they use the car. There's no ending where he gets back with Emma. There's no ending with... Anything with Jacob where he's out of the forest, from what I can see. Right. Um, he either uh, sits down. I think he always like cries or gets upset at the very end, anyway. But either it's um, he, it's it's him in the forest because you've already killed Caleb if you shot the right person, um, or it's uh, him running away from a werewolf, and either he gets caught like he did in my first playthrough yeah. and gets his guts sliced out, or the um, snare trap catches it in its crust. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. 
That's interesting. No, no, so I didn't know if that went anywhere with the with the part. But that's... no, it's a it's a whole thing. We will wrap this pod up. Um, possibly one of the longest podcasts we've ever done, but it's worth it because there's so much to talk about with the quarry. And I think regardless of where you come down on um, which side of the game you come down on, it is just worth talking about because there are so many permutations to it, and it is so well put together overall. It's a hell of a um, feat, especially when two years of its production were entirely covidized. Um, so massive shout out to um, the, obviously everyone who was able to put the um, the whole thing together. For now, though. Clearly, this has been the wind-up. I've been Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure for God, anyone who's stuck by all of this. And we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.